in our final week of a little sermon series on the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. If you want to look it up, we're going to be in Daniel 6 here in just a moment. And as you're turning over there, I want to try to introduce the direction I'm going with this sermon this morning. So the first week in the first weekend in January of this year, I was invited to speak at a retreat. The retreat was in Detroit, Texas, right outside of Paris, uh, at a place called Jan K Ranch Retreat. It is also an exotic animal farm, and I'm going to say more about that later on in the sermon. Uh, but the retreat that I was invited to speak at was put on by the church that I grew up in in Greenville. So I said yes, I thought it would be a neat opportunity to give back to something that gave to me as a kid, as a teenager. So I show up that night, and I got there a little early before the church bus did, and I'm looking around, and I grew up going to this retreat center every January. And it had been probably 20 years, almost a couple of decades since I had been to this retreat center, and I got out, and I'm walking around by myself, and I'm like, man, this place looks the exact same. It hasn't changed a bit in two decades. You know, sometimes people will paint or change a color or add a new building. It's the exact same place. And then the church bus pulls up, and I go over there to greet them, and I'm watching as some of the kids are getting off the bus from the same church that I grew up in, and I'm thinking, don't recognize you, don't recognize you. None of these kids were born when I was there. So that shows some of you think I'm young, but that made me feel kind of old that day. And as the kids were getting off, I looked and I saw some familiar faces. I saw a few adults get off the bus and I thought, wait a minute, I recognize that person. I recognize him, I recognize her, and I realized that these are some of the same adults volunteering their time to come as staff for this retreat for the weekend, the same ones that were doing it 20 years ago when I was in the youth group. And I thought, that's neat, that's encouraging to see their continual commitment to this church, the youth group, and that they're the same faces living faithfully. All right? They're still there, still doing their thing all these years later. And then last weekend, we were watching some football on a Sunday afternoon. The New England Patriots were playing uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I was watching the game with my kids. An exciting game, and I watched as the Patriots won, and then after the game, they were interviewing Tom Brady, and he was talking about how he's going to another Super Bowl. So whether you love Tom Brady or you hate him, I explained to my kids, that same guy was leading that same team almost two, deca- two decades ago when I was growing up. And now here I am as a young adult with a family of my own, and this is the same player on the same team. All these years later, he's still there doing his thing. So I'm thinking about longevity, like people who have been around for a long time and are still doing what they're doing effectively. Every year I try to go home to Greenville and catch a high school football game. And I grew up playing for Greenville, and it's fun to go watch and see some familiar faces. And when I was in junior high, even younger than junior high, when I was in high school, there was a a guy named Mark. We called him Coach Mark. Um, He had some some handicaps in life that he had to deal with, and he wasn't able to drive or really work full-time, but the coaches loved Mark, and, and he wanted so badly to be a coach, so they allowed him to come in and to coach with them. He would bring his whistle and his clipboard, and he would come to practice every day, be there for every game, junior high games, you know, high school games. Coach Mark has been there for years. So every time we go home to watch a football game, we're always looking for Coach Mark. 
We always spot him over there on the sideline. There's Coach Mark. I always try to go say hi to him before the game is over. He's been there all these years when I was in school, my brothers were in school, and now all these years later, he's still there on the sideline on Friday nights. Still there, still doing his thing all these decades later. So what is longevity? Longevity is just having a long life. And I like to think of longevity as people who've been around for a long time, and they're still doing what they do effectively. So we started this sermon series in Daniel chapter 1. And in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel and his friends are taken as captives, as exiles back to Babylon from Jerusalem. They're young men, handsome, without any physical defect, and they're smart, they're wise, they're able to learn. So in Daniel chapter 1, most assume Daniel was probably a young teenager, a young man. But what we don't realize, or a lot of people don't realize, is that by the time you get to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is an old man at this point. He has been in Babylon for decades, and some think maybe Daniel has been there for almost 60 years probably 80 or in his 80s. So when you look at it that way, I'm thinking Daniel has some longevity. Living as a foreigner in Babylon, but he's still praying, still living faithfully, still meditating on God's Word, still holding out hope that maybe someday he'll get to go back to Jerusalem and see the temple again. This is Daniel, decades later, still in Babylon. And what the question that I'm asking as I study Daniel, as I look at Daniel chapter 6, a story that we're familiar with, Daniel in the lion's den, I'm asking this question, how do we have faith for the long haul? How do we have this longevity kind of faith? Well, we can look at our lives and say, years from now, Lord willing, we're still on this earth, we want to still be faithful. So Daniel chapter 6, I'll paraphrase some of this story. Verse 1, King Darius is now in charge of Babylon. This is the third different ruler of Babylon that Daniel has had in his time in Babylon. It was started with Nebuchadnezzar, and then chapter 5, which we're not really looking at for the sermon series, it was Nebuchadnezzar's son, and now it's Darius. He's a, from the Medes. He's the Medes and the Persians. They've taken over. and So Darius wants to kind of delegate some of the responsibilities out, and Daniel is one of the men that he chooses. Daniel has an excellent spirit about him. So Daniel is elevated to being in charge of a lot of people. And then in verse 5, some of the other men, they don't like Daniel. They're jealous of Daniel and the promotions that he's getting. And so they want to find a way to trap Daniel, to set him up, to get him in trouble, and to get rid of him. And they know that the only way to do that, if you're looking at Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, is to get something in connection with the law of his God. That's how we can trap him. That's how we can get him in trouble. It's got to be something that has to do with the law of his God. So in the next few verses, they go to King Darius in verse 6 through 9, and they say, O king, live forever. They butter him up. They use this flattery, and they said, We think that you should make a law that says... Nobody in this kingdom, in this area, can pray to any other God or any other human being for 30 days, and they pump him up, and Darius goes with it, and he signs it, he makes it official, and so now 30 days, the new law, you can't pray to any God or any other human being. Now, that's where we're at in the first nine verses. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Apostle Paul says, 
Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So there's some parallels for us today. We may not be persecuted to the extreme that maybe we saw in the first three centuries of the early church, but Paul alludes to, you want to live a godly life, there's going to be some resistance. There's going to be some persecution. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 11, he refers to followers of Jesus as exiles, aliens and strangers on this earth. And then in 2 Peter, I mean 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. I think of Daniel when I think of the words from Paul and when I think of the words from Peter. He's persecuted because he's trying to live a godly life and people are out to get him. He's in exile and he's living such good life, such a good life among the pagans that although they're going to accuse him of doing wrong, the cream will rise to the top. The truth will eventually be known. So they make this law, they put it in place, and then in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10 is when I want to slow down and just talk about for a moment. Although Daniel chapter 6 verse 10, although chapter 6 verse 10, although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to his house, which had windows in its upper room open towards Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day and pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. So Daniel knows that it's now illegal in Babylon to do this, to pray. So it seems like he's defiant. And, and maybe if this was us and there was a law that was made, you know, maybe we would may, want to make a scene, or as I mentioned in the first sermon in the series, maybe we would go protest on social media or on Facebook. But I don't think Daniel is protesting here. He's a little bit defiant because he knows it's illegal, but what we're told is that he goes to his window and he prays towards Jerusalem just as he had always done, or as he had previously done. All these decades go by. Daniel's now an older man, and he's still praying. He doesn't just all of a sudden start praying to try to make a point. He's been praying this whole time, so he just does it as he had always done. And he prays three times a day, facing towards Jerusalem. And we may ask, well, why does he do that? Well, you can look at Psalm 55 and verse 17. The psalmist says, morning, noon, evening, I cry out to you. You can look at Solomon's prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 36 through 39. Solomon prays facing the temple. So Daniel picks up on these things, and this is just kind of the rhythm that he has for his prayer routine. Three times a day, maybe more than that, but three significant times a day, he's praying towards the temple, towards Jerusalem. What's he praying for? One of the things we're not going to look at in this sermon series is the later part of Daniel, Daniel 7 through 12. Um, but in Daniel chapter 9, I'll mention this, he prays a prayer of intercession for God's people, for the exiles. He prays that God will intercede, that God will forgive them, and that God will bring them home. So maybe part of his prayer life is for God to intercede, not just for him, but for all the exiles. Maybe he's praying the Shema. Maybe he recites Deuteronomy 6. Maybe he's reciting other scriptures. I know that Daniel's prayer life was rich, and it was full of scripture, of meditation, and of intercession. And why not compromise? Daniel chapter 6 is very similar to Daniel chapter 3. 
We looked at that a few weeks ago. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they're forced to bow down to the statue and worship it that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they won't do it. They're willing to die to be thrown in the fiery furnace rather than to bow to this statue. Why not compromise? Why, why doesn't Daniel just go pray silently in his room and nobody will know it? He could do that for 30 days, right? Well, the question for Daniel was the same question we asked in, in Daniel chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you compromise here, where else will you start to compromise? So he doesn't compromise. He still prays as he had always done. Now, for the month of January, we focused on this challenge we've called, What You Gonna Quit? And I hope some of you, I know I've heard from a lot of people that you've taken on this challenge. It's officially over now, so if you're still doing it, then keep going. Maybe just pretend like I didn't say that. But officially, the 10-day challenge is over. We, we took Daniel chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 8 and following, and they do the 10 days without eating any of the meat or drinking the wine, and they just eat vegetables and drink water only. So we took a 10-day challenge, and what you're going to quit? You know, appreciate Tony bringing this challenge before us, and it's basically just any bad habit or sinful behavior in your life, try quitting it for 10 days and see how God works on you through that. I did this challenge. I mentioned the very first week I've tried not eating after 8 p.m. with the purpose of not always indulging myself and letting food dominate my life. And for me, in small ways, it's kind of been a spiritual awakening. And I've heard some great reports from some of you and your challenges. But what I realize is these first three weeks in the sermon series, I've used words like bad habits, idols, false gods, things like that, sinful behaviors, probably more than I ever have in any other sermon series. So we focused on the negative things, on the things that we need to quit or leave behind in our lives, and those are important things that we need to focus on. But for Daniel here, I guess a new challenge for him is what you're going to continue, because he needs to continue those spiritual habits, those spiritual disciplines that have helped him keep this kind of longevity faith over all these decades while in Babylon. So he continues to pray, just like he had always done. Well, they catch him. That was their whole purpose. In verse 11 and following, they, they discover that Daniel's praying to his God, and so he, they go back to Darius and they say, hey, didn't you make this law that you can't pray to any other God or any other human being for 30 days? Darius is like, yes, I did. And they said, well, Daniel's praying to his God. And then the, part of the accusation they bring before him in verse 13 is he pays no attention to you. If you've been studying Daniel, that sounds familiar because it's the same accusation brought against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3. When they won't bow down to the statue, they pay no attention to you. And I, I don't think Daniel's doing that out of disrespect. I think Daniel is a very respectable person, and he has respect for those in authority. But when it comes to obeying God or obeying men, Daniel says, I'm going to obey God. So Darius does everything he can to try and prevent Daniel from being thrown in this lion's den as punishment. But he knows that he put this, in, this law into place and it cannot be revoked. So if Darius did not follow through with the punishment, it would show weakness in his leadership. It's kind of like being a parent. You know, threaten your kid you got three seconds, and if you don't stop doing what you're doing, you're getting a spanking, and then you do the countdown, and they're still doing it. 
I was like, well, now you actually have to spank them. If not, they're going to see your weakness, and they're going to keep working on that. So Darius sees this. He's like, I've, I've got to punish Daniel, but I don't want to. So he brings him over to this lion's den, to this pit, and they throw him in it. And Darius says these words, May your God, whom you serve continually, may he deliver you. I think what Darius means by that is, Maybe he's looking at Daniel and he's like, you're a little bit hard-headed if you just would have stopped praying for 30 days. But I think he's also, he admires Daniel and he's impressed with the word continually, this word steadfast, this word that he just keeps going, longevity. All these years, all these decades go by and this God that you serve continually, that you're still praying to all these years later, may he deliver you. And they throw him into a lion's den. This is where we're familiar with the story. For those of you who grew up going to Bible class or VBS, you probably have heard Daniel and the lion's den before. I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon, I went to that place called Jan K Retreat to speak a couple weekends ago, and it's an exotic animal farm. So I don't know if you knew this or not, but just in the woods in Detroit, Texas, there's tigers and rhinos and kangaroos and monkeys and all sorts of animals. Uh, so it's kind of neat to say the place I preached at 100 yards away from me was a tiger. It's funny, it's cool as long as the tiger's in the cage, right? I don't trust animals. So I took my kids through this little exotic animal farm on Saturday afternoon, and we were looking at all the animals, and there were some neighbors who were also visiting that day, and uh, they were taking their grandkids through this little zoo. And I struck up a conversation with the neighbors, and they told me how they live over the lake and through the woods, which you know you live in the country if that's how you describe where you live. And we started talking about the lion that used to be in that zoo. And I remember the lion from when I was a kid. And they said, you know, the lion had died about a a year before this. But they said for years, when they would wake up in the morning, instead of hearing the rooster crow, they would hear the lion roar. And they said you could hear the lion roar every morning across that lake, through the woods, and in the house. They said it was a really neat sound. But there's also something terrifying about a lion roaring. And if you could hear it that far away. Usually if we visit a lion, it's behind a cage at a zoo. When I was in Tanzania, we took a safari, and I was taking pictures of all the animals, and a lion walked by, and I realized I'm protected by nothing. And it's very scary, because I know that the lion could destroy me at any moment if he wanted to. Daniel was thrown into a pit full of lions, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace because of their faith, because they won't compromise their faith. And then a stone is rolled over the entrance of this lion's den. Verse 18, Darius goes back to his room, and he's upset. He he doesn't want the evening entertainment. He doesn't eat. He doesn't sleep very well because he's worried about Daniel. And then as soon as the sun comes up, Darius runs back to this tomb, and he says, Daniel. And then in verse 20, he says, That God whom you serve continually, was he able to save you? Was he able to deliver you? And then in verse 21, he hears Daniel's voice. O king, live forever. And I imagine hearing Daniel's voice would have been very comforting to the king. And then in verse 22, Daniel says, God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me 
Because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. I'm innocent. And he said, because of that, God sent his angel and protected me. One of the things I noticed as I studied through Daniel chapter 6 is there's some similarities to the story of Jesus. The very beginning of chapter 6 and verse 5, Daniel is falsely accused. They're trying to find a reason to accuse Daniel, and they do the same thing with Jesus. They try to find a reason to accuse him. Jesus is killed on a cross, and he's buried in a tomb, and they put a stone over that tomb, just like they do with Daniel in the lion's den. And Daniel is comforted by an angel, and if you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus... Mark chapter 1, when he's in the wilderness praying, God sends an angel to minister to him. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus is praying in the garden, right before the crucifixion, an angel comes and comforts him. So we see some similarities between Daniel and Jesus, and that's always encouraging to see. The rest of the story is, in Daniel chapter 6, they pull Daniel up out of the lion's den, and then it ends kind of violently where they... All the accusers of Daniel are now thrown into the lion's den, along with their, their wives and their children. And as soon as they hit the floor, the lions are so hungry that they come and they crush them. Now, there's a lot going on there. There's punishment. They're trying to stop any potential troublemakers. They're going to wipe out not just the accusers, but their family as well. And it highlights this violent, barbaric world that Daniel has lived in for the last several decades. And then another chapter in the book of Daniel ends with a pagan Gentile king praising the God of the Hebrews, the God of the universe, our creator God, the God that we believe in. And that was our scripture reading from this morning. So as a study through Daniel chapter 6, it's kind of neat to look at the lion's den and how God rescues him and comes through for him and the similarities between this story and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story, but my question is still the same. How do we have a longevity kind of faith? How do we have a faith that will last for the long haul? However long we're on this earth, how do we have a kind of faith where we stay committed to our God? Day in and day out, year after year, decade after decade. And I think there's two really great examples we see from Daniel and his friends in the book of Daniel that help them have this longevity kind of faith. One of those is he knew what to quit and when to quit it. We've already talked about that with the what you're going to quit challenge. In Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He wanted to keep his Jewish identity. So he knew there are certain things while living as an exile in Babylon that he will not indulge himself in, that he will abstain from. So he knew what to quit, but he also knew which spiritual practices and habits to continue. He knew that there were some things, in order to keep his faith while living on this earth in exile, that he needed to keep doing. And part of that was his prayer life. Part of that was meditating on God's word, on God's law, and even the prophet Jeremiah, which he had while in exile, the words. What to quit, what to continue, and we see in Daniel this faith that lasts a lifetime through all the ups and the downs. So studying that, I was, came across a story of a guy named Dr. Hugh Litchfield. He was a lifelong preacher, Bible professor. One day he was doing a hospital visit and this guy hollered his name across the hospital and came over to him and he said, Dr. Litchfield, do you remember me? 
And it took him a moment. He's like, your face looks familiar. I, I do sort of remember you. And the guy reminded him, I attended your church over 20 years ago. He said, at the time, I was really struggling. He was facing jail time because of some problems with his taxes. He was dependent on alcohol. His marriage was struggling. He, life with his kids, his family, things weren't going very well. And he reminded the preacher of this. And he, he said, I visited your church some during this time. And he said, I just want to thank you. And Dr. Litchfield said, thank me for what? And he said, you preached a sermon one Sunday that God used to change the direction of my life. He said, you talked about taking responsibility for your own actions and not blaming others. And he said, I went home that day and I was so convicted by that, I prayed and I promised God that I was going to get things right. And he said, I paid off my taxes. I'm no longer dependent on alcohol. My marriage is great. My life with my kids is great. And he said, so thank you. Well, Dr. Litchfield, this preacher is like, wow, thanks. You know, that's encouraging to hear. He went back to his office And he started going through his old sermon notes. And he had to go all the way back 20 years to find the sermon that that guy was talking about. Every Monday morning when he would file away his notes, he would write a little note at the top uh, describing how the sermon went. So he found that exact sermon that that guy was talking about. And at the top of his notes, he wrote, dead in the water. No one listened. Waste of time. And he never preached it again. And now 20 years later, he's being told by some random person, God used that sermon to change my life. What he thought was a waste of time, turns out it wasn't. So he concluded as he's sharing this story with these words, he said, I've learned something along the way. If we offer faithfully to God what we have, somehow it will be used in magnificent ways. We must never underestimate what God will do with what we give. So I thought of Daniel as I read this story from Dr. Litchfield. There had to have been times when Daniel was discouraged. It wasn't all glory. We're we're getting the highlights in six chapters, but if you're talking about decades of praying three times a day over and over and not really knowing what's going to happen, not knowing if you'll ever get to go home, knowing if you'll ever be rescued, a new king and now another kingdom comes in. But Daniel didn't play the victim. He didn't say, forget this, I'm not going to pray anymore, it's useless. He kept praying, and his faith becomes an inspiration to people like us thousands of years later. I imagine sitting there praying day after day, Daniel had no idea. People are going to be telling this story thousands of years from now as an example of faith. Daniel probably had no idea how encouraging this was for the other exiles living in Babylon. Daniel had no idea how inspiring this would be for the early church when they're facing some pretty harsh persecutions to remain faithful to the end. You know, Daniel's faith, his longevity faith, is inspirational to all of us. So my question is, how do we develop the faith like Daniel that sticks it out for the long haul? That somebody can come and look at us 20 or 30 years from now and say they're still living faithfully. I like to do this when I go home and visit and see different churches. And I've known people most of my life to go home. And I'm always encouraged to see there's so-and-so, there's that couple. And they're still serving. They're still living faithfully. I imagine people at this church can come home that maybe grew up here and say, 
there she is or there he is. They're still offering prayers and serving communion and bringing meals to people when there's a funeral or teaching class or worshiping or hugging and, and still in awe of God's Word. You may not know it, but that's contagious. That's inspiring to others. Still serving, still living. That's the kind of faith that I want to develop in my life and in your life. It's that longevity kind of faith. And that journey has to start somewhere, and so maybe that starts today for some of you. For some of you who want to know Christ, the power of His resurrection, be baptized into Christ, maybe the journey of a longevity faith starts today. Maybe you're on this road and you've been on it for a while and you've hit some bumps in the road and you just need encouragement. This is an opportunity this morning. Come up front, receive prayers, find one of our shepherds around the room or in the back. But you can take the time to respond. We want to invite you to stay in and continue your time of worship. When peace like a river attends